We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, July the 9th, 2020. On today's show, we begin our position unit previews, folks. We are counting down. We're just 58 days away from kickoff, and we're breaking down every position unit on the Gamecocks football team today. I start with the quarterbacks. We'll look back at 2019 for the quarterbacks group. We'll meet the quarterbacks heading into 2020, talk about the most approved, best overall Season will be successful if I'll give my overall grade for the unit. Much, much more also. A ton to get to as far as news and notes. We're finally back after a two-and-a-half-week hiatus. We've got your listener questions as well. And we got a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks defensive back Vic Hampton joins the show. It's a phenomenal interview. I would argue one of the best interviews ever aired on this podcast. So stay tuned for that. Very excited. It's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only app I recommend. Go download the SeatGeek app. Go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. Use that promo code. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Guys, sports are coming back. This month, MLB, NBA, you got NHL. I know fans aren't allowed quite yet, but we're moving in that direction. Ray Tanner going on 107.5 The Game this morning talking about we could have 15,000 fans, maybe 20,000, maybe 25, maybe 30,000. Either way, as soon as fans are allowed back in the stands, you're going to need your tickets, and SeatGeek is the place to go. they got a great ticket rating system, which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So never again do you have to worry about scalping because, again, social distancing. I don't want to come in contact with somebody and scalp for tickets. You can avoid that process. You're going to know exactly what you're getting, what you're paying, the value of your tickets. You're never going to overpay for tickets again. You're going to know how much the tickets in that section are going. So again, you're going to get the best bang for your buck. You're going to feel good about your purchase. When you click that buy button, you're going to have the peace of mind to know, hey, I'm getting the best bang for my buck. My money's going in a good place. I can just go to the event, enjoy myself, and not worry about my wallet. So again, that's our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. Let's get it. What is up, everyone? We are back. I'm Chris Phillips, host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. Very, very, very excited. You guys do not realize how excited I am to be back in the studio, back behind the mic, recording the podcast. Yes, 
We took a vacation. We took some time off. I went to Folly Beach. I went to Isle of Palms. I went to Hilton Head, got to spend time with the family, got to spend time with friends, drank a lot of booze, celebrated 4th of July, shot off some fireworks. We did it all, but I'm not going to lie to you. It was like July 5th. I started getting that itch, man. I, I want to get behind the mic. We got to get back. We were putting out content on social media a little bit here and there just to keep things going, but I'm very, very excited. The show is back. The podcast is back. We are fully diving into off-season content with the position unit previews starting today. We'll have season projections and predictions and all that good stuff coming out in the next couple weeks. We have got a lot to get to as we are just 58 days away from kickoff, guys. Again, I thank you so much for being patient, for allowing me to go take some time to myself, to detach, to have a good vacation, get to the beach. My tan is popping right now, so I appreciate you guys for that. But, man, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to talk some Gamecocks. I'm pumped to talk Gamecock football as well because, again, we are right in the middle of the offseason. We are peak offseason right now. No sports are going on. Like I said before, that um, MLB, NHL, NBA, they're all going to be starting up over the next couple of weeks, hopefully, as long as things continue to move in a positive direction. But I'm fired up. I'm fired up either way. I'm continuing on. We are continuing on as if football season's going to happen because, damn it, we are all positive here. We're going to be positive about the season potentially happening. All righty. Let's get to a couple housekeeping items if, as if that wasn't some right there. I'm just very excited to talk to you guys. As always, if you haven't done so, be sure to rate and subscribe to the show. Leave five stars, your thoughts, your feedback, whatever. If you have any feedback, that's the place to do it. But it doesn't matter. Whatever platform you are on, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, go leave a five-star review. It helps boost the podcast, and I truly do appreciate it. Also, if you are listening, be sure to hammer the subscribe button. Whether you're on any of the platforms I mentioned, if you're on YouTube, if you're on social media, hit the follow button. You want to make sure you're getting the daily notifications when the podcast drops. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're not following us, I don't know what you're doing at this point. So be sure to follow, subscribe, whatever as well. Um, also, I'm going to do a shameless plug here, by the way. With everything going on, I have decided, and I don't have the final, everything finalized, or whatever, but I'm, going to actually be, I'm actually going to be dropping a new podcast, a new brand, if you will, and I know some of you may not care because it's not going to be directly related and affiliated with South Carolina. It's going to be just me giving my thoughts, opinions on things. It's going to be professional sports, college, things outside of sports, pop culture, relationships, partying, having, you know, whatever. It's just going to be everything me. It's going to be everything in the world, if you will. Will it be political banter? No, I'm not a political guy. Will it be a lot of pandemic talk? Probably not because I'm not a doctor. But it'll be a fun, vulgar, crude type of show that, you know what, something else, something to add, something to diversify what I'm doing. I figure, you know what, with things going the way they're going, why not? Why not try my hand? I've been wanting to go national for a long time, but it's just another thing to offer you guys if you want to listen. If you don't, whatever. TSUS continues to roll on without any interruption the way we've been doing. But I just thought, hey, like I said, shameless plug. I don't even have a name yet, but I wanted to throw that out there if you guys want to listen. August 1st is the date that I'm targeting for that, and I'm very excited for it. I think it'll be cool The open up the realm of possibilities as far as guests, as far as topics. Um, with as far as just content overall. I'm very, very excited for that. All right, let's dive into this, though, because we're talking Gamecocks. We're talking Spurs Up Show. We're talking position unit previews are back. If you guys remember, I've done this since 2018, done it the last two years. The first year we did it, we were doing it via article form. The last year we did it, we did it uh, over the summer. Last year we did it the Daily Crow 
form. So it was like short eight to nine minute videos that I was putting up on YouTube and just on social media in general. Now we have switched over to the podcast because obviously, again, we need things to talk about. And I figured this fit in perfectly with the show. We are starting, of course. What's the most important position on the offense? It's got to be the quarterback. We're starting with the quarterbacks, the signal callers for 2020. Before we do that, let's look back, though, at 2019. Because 2019 was a very interesting year for the quarterback position in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, Jake Bentley obviously started the season against North Carolina. He goes 16 for 30, 142 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. He gets injured, whether he got hurt in the last play of the game, or he, whether he kicked a locker, whatever you want to believe is up to you. But he got hurt. And Ryan Holinsky took over for South Carolina, the highly touted freshman, the blue chipper out of California. We all know his story, forever to three, all that good stuff. He goes 236 or 406. He started the rest of the season, as we all know, 2,357 yards, 11 touchdowns, and five interceptions. Um, the only other quarterback to play, well, I guess Jay Urich did play a little bit against Clemson, but the carry on Joyner getting the other playing time, field, the other snaps. He went 16 for 28 for 168 yards, most notably came in the second half against Georgia when Ryan Holinsky got hurt. Uh, you know, helped lead South Carolina that victory, I would say, for sure. Um, so, yeah. So, again, that's your quarterbacks looking back at 2019. Meeting the quarterbacks for 2020. Ryan Holinsky will be the number one guy coming in the fall. There's no question. He is the sophomore, Ryan Holinsky. Uh, Colin Hill, the senior. You have Luke Doty, the freshman. Jay Urich, a junior. And then Connor Jordan, a true freshman. We're talking most approved, best overall. Season will be successful if an overall grade. That's how these are going to go for every, every single position unit. Let's start with me. The most approved out of this group. And my answer might actually surprise some of you. The carry on joiner again, not in the quarterbacks this year. He has transferred to wide or transitioned to wide receiver. Um, but the most to prove me, listen, you could definitely go Ryan Holinsky because Holinsky's got a lot to prove, no question. But I'm actually going to go with Colin Hill, the senior. And I'm going to tell you why. Colin Hill coming into a situation, I posed the question on social media a few days ago, will Colin Hill start a game in Columbia? And just to go ahead and throw it out there because I don't want to leave any uncertainty, any doubt, any speculation with any of you out there. I expect Ryan Holinsky to be the starting quarterback this football season. I expect Ryan Linsky to be the starter. But Colin Hill is a guy who has a lot to prove. Transferring from Colorado State, following Mike Bobo, spent three years in his system. He threw for 3,323 yards, 23 touchdowns. He had 11 interceptions. Now, he is a guy that battled injury. He is a guy that never threw more touchdowns than he did interceptions. Or excuse me, yes, he did. His first year and his second. My bad. I was reading that backwards. He has, but 23 touchdowns, 11 picks. He is battling injury, coming back from knee injuries, stuff like that. We all know guys did not get to go through spring ball. Now, you would think that would help Colin Hill the most. Three years, really four years. He was injured in 17, but was still there. He has a ton of experience under Mike Bobo and in Mike Bobo's scheme. To me, Colin Hill has the most to prove because if he, and I was talking to somebody else about this as well, if Colin Hill can't challenge, at least push Ryan Holinsky for the starting position, he's just terrible. There, there's no other way to put that because he has by far the most knowledge of the offense, of the way Mike Bobo wants to run his offense. There's no question. He, he already knows the lingo, the verbiage. And I'm not saying Ryan Holinsky can't learn that, but experience trumps, right? 
Experience matters in those type of scenarios, especially when you don't get spring ball. You don't get live reps to go over it. So I think just out of this group of guys, I think Colin Hill has the most to prove to me. It's like, is he just going to be a guy who's a third stringer, fourth stringer, and is just there to help Ryan Alinsky and Luke Doty along and sort of be the mentor? Or is he a guy that's actually going to challenge for some playing time? And again, like I said, I made it clear. I expect Ryan Linsky to be the starter. But Colin Hill is a guy with his experience, especially with Mike Bobo being the OC, could we see him factor in? But again, I think it'll just be, I mean, do you think Colin Hill really transferred here to sit on the bench? A senior, he could have just stayed at Colorado State. I know he's a South Carolina native and stuff like that, but I mean, he could have stayed there. He didn't have to come to South Carolina. I just have this sneaking suspicion that he did not. I think he came in to compete for the job and play. And, again, I think he has a lot to prove because I think it's going to say a lot about Colin Hill's overall skill level and talent. If he can't – if he's the third-string quarterback, he's just terrible. He's just trash. There's no other way to put it. He's just trash because there's no way you have that knowledge of the offense and you can't push for the starting job. So – I think he has the most to prove overall out of all these guys in the quarterback room. Now, best overall, I'm handing that to Ryan Helensky. I'm handing it overall out of all these guys. I'm handing it to Ryan Helensky. And here's the biggest reason, if nothing else. I mean, again, listen, Ryan Helensky's very talented. got great arm talent. He's got, you know, I think he has intangibles you can't coach. I think that's one of his biggest things. But Ryan Helensky, he's the only quarterback on this roster that's played an SEC game. If you're not counting to carry on Joyner, who's a wide receiver? So, you know, Ryan Linsky, again, give him his due credit. Threw for over 2,300 yards, 11 TDs, five interceptions. Was he perfect as a true freshman? No. Most true freshmen aren't, though. He was thrust into a tough situation with Jake Bentley getting hurt after week one. I thought he did pretty well in his first start against Alabama. You know, he definitely had his freshman moments, but he also battled injuries. We found out after the season about his knee, about his elbow stuff like that, you know, he dealt with his issues. He dealt with his own injuries, which I think certainly affected his mechanics and affected his gameplay. Is he a perfect quarterback? No, I don't think so. I don't think Ryan Linsky's a perfect quarterback, but out of this group, no question to me, he is the best overall. He is the best overall quarterback right now on this roster. For me, Season will be successful if, so if you need to break down of what this section means, it just means what needs to happen with the quarterbacks What will deem it a successful season for this quarterback group for me? For me, the season will be successful if, simply put, the passing game complements the running game. I think that people are fooling themselves if they think this is going to be a 70-30 pass offense or even a 60-40. I think Mike Bobo's focus, he wants to run the football. That's why you bring in a guy like Marshawn Lloyd. I think you're going to see South going to be a two-tight-end set type of team. I think they're going to want to hand the football off 30, 35, 40 times a game. And South Carolina just needs to make sure it has a passing game that can complement the run. Because I talked about before, if you can't run the football this year, South Carolina is going to have a tough time winning games. I, I, I just truly believe that, especially with your lack of options at the wide receiver position right now. But the passing game simply needs to complement the running game. I think Mike Bobo said it best. He said that his ideal offensive day – is passing for 300 and running for 200. Like I said before, I I tend to think that it's going to be the opposite. I think they're going to want to try to run for 300 and throw for 200. But either way, you have to be balanced. 
you, there has to be some threat of a passing game for the rushing attack to have any success, even with a guy like Marshawn Lloyd, even with a guy like that in the backfield. So whoever's under center, and again, I expect it to be Ryan Holinsky, but whoever's under center, the passing game has got to be able to complement the running game, whether it's through short throws, you know, you're going to have to stretch the field vertically every now and then, but being smart with the football, not turning the football over, keeping the defense honest so your running game can work. Because, again, I could be wrong, but I think it's going to be a 50-50 run-pass split. I think Mike Bobo wants to run the football, especially with this setup, with this group of guys, with this personnel he has. I think he's going to want to run the football 100%. The overall grade for the unit – Again, Ryan Alinsky, Colin Hill, Luke Doty, Jay Yurick, Connor Jordan. I'm giving the overall grade for this unit a C plus. And I know some people are going to freak out. Oh, my God, why is it so low? You know, I think Ryan Alinsky's got a lot to prove as well, frankly. Um, you know, we talked about Athlon's preview magazine. And you take a look at most quarterback rankings coming into this season. It's shocking to me. Because, listen, I think Ryan Alinsky's an imperfect quarterback. I don't think he's a perfect quarterback. I think he has things he needs to work on. But I am very excited to see a fully healthy Ryan Holinsky under center for all 12 games. But it's very surprising how skeptical a lot of experts are of Ryan Holinsky and his future at the quarterback position for South Carolina. And people asking, is he the long-term answer? So I give the overall grade a C-plus because I think there's potential with this group. I think Ryan Holinsky could be a very good quarterback. I think Luke Colin Hill could push for playtime. I think Luke Doty could be the long-term answer. No kidding. And I want to get to that point in just a second. So I think overall grade, giving it a C-plus, because there are definitely still some unknowns. I think there certainly are still some unknowns. There's a high ceiling with this group, no doubt. There's a high ceiling with this group, and specifically Ryan Holinsky. I think his ceiling is high. And, again, it's, t- it's tough to judge him because we saw him injured for so much of the year. The kid has arm talent. But Mike Bobo said it when he got on campus. I mean, the mechanics were not great a lot of the time. And again, I know he was hurt. I know that plays into it. But his mechanics were not great a lot of the time last year. A lot of the time. So we need to see that be shored up. We need to see his overall throwing mechanics be shorter because he's a guy that drops the ball down low and comes back around. It makes, you know, makes for a longer throwing uh, throwing motion than you would like. Again, the ceiling's very high, and he has intangibles. Ryan Holinsky is a true leader of men. He is someone South Carolina fans should be proud of that's wearing garnet and black. But as far as overall quarterback on the field, you know, there are certainly some things left to be desired. I'll be very interested, again, with a fully healthy Ryan Holinsky for all 12 games. I'll be very curious to see, um, you know, what type, of, what type of strides he's made from year one to year two. Because I think that's when you see the biggest strides. And we saw a guy like Jake Bentley, who I know people don't want to hear this, but Ryan Linsky and Jake Bentley had very comparable freshman years as far as, like, you know, they both had glimpses of brilliance. They both had some moments where you're like, uh, we're like, uh. And we saw Jake Bentley regress. You know, Ryan Holinsky picking up a new offensive scheme. What is his progression like? I, I feel much better about Ryan Holinsky's progression than I did Jake Bentley's because Mike Bobo is a proven quarterback whisperer. He's worked with guys like Aaron Murray, David Green, um, who else? 
oh, Matt Stafford. You know, he worked with those great Georgia guys, those great Georgia quarterbacks. So, I think he could do wonders with Ryan Winsky. Now, now I want to piss you all off because <laughs> I know this will piss people off. I want to pose a question to Gamecock fans, uh, sort of a question, kind of a statement, just something I've thought about before. Because, listen, there should always be competition on a football team. The best teams are the ones with the most competition. Look at South Carolina from 2011 to 13, 2010 to 13. Those the greatest teams in school history. The quarterback position was always up for grabs. Connor Shaw and Dylan Thompson, QB1, QB2, went out at, went went after it with each other. You know, Garcia and Shaw. I mean, they're there. So, I think there should be competition at this position. And I know Everybody falls in love with the backup, and that's not what I'm doing. That's not what I am doing, okay? But Luke Doty is an intriguing player because Luke Doty is the only quarterback on the roster that can do the things he can do. And what I mean by that is he's the only quarterback on the roster who can throw as well as he runs, as well as he throws. The athleticism that he has and that he can throw the football He's the only guy that can do that. And, and listen, this is, again, none of this is a knock on Ryan Linsky. This is all just off-season banter, just off-season talk, if you will. But I'm truly a believer that, you know, I'm not saying Ryan Linsky won't have a great career here. He won't win big games here. He won't win a lot of games here. But I think at a place like South Carolina, you almost need a dual-threat quarterback to win big, like a Connor Shaw. Like, I think Connor Shaw showed that. You need a dual-threat guy to win big. At least a quarterback who is mobile, who is somewhat agile. And like I said, I love number three. But, man, he runs in quicksand. He runs in quicksand. He is not going to be mistaken for a track star, okay? And I just think that your best strategy for winning big games and having prolific offenses – is having a guy who can run in the spread, who can play 11-on-11. 11 11. South Carolina is not talented enough to play 10-on-11. They're just simply not. I mean, you can argue with me on that until you're blue in the face, but we can go down the roster, and they're not. They're not. South Carolina is not good enough to run the offense Clemson runs because there, isn't, there aren't three or four or five stars on the outside of wide receiver, and you have a five-star running back, and you have five-star offensive lineman to block for you. You just don't have that luxury. You don't have it. And I'm not trying to knock Carolina, but don't try. You're going to die trying to be an imitation. You have to be innovative if you're Carolina. And again, I'm not saying Ryan Linsky will not have a ton of success. I'm not saying he won't win a ton of ball games and throw for a ton of yards and a ton of touchdowns and whatever. But I pose this, this thought, if you will. And I want to make you guys think. I really do. And I, I want to make you feel some type of way, I guess. <sighs> if South Carolina starts, let's say, 3-1 and one or, God forbid, 4-0. and oh. Let's say we start the season off hot. And let's say Marshawn Lloyd at this point is a household name. Because I think he'll have to be. If, if South Carolina has a good year, if they go to a bowl game, Marshawn Lloyd's a household name. But let's say South Carolina starts 3-1 and one, or, God forbid, 4-0. and oh. But – Ryan Halinski's not playing well for whatever reason. Just not, just isn't as accurate as you like to see. Um, is a little inconsistent, which are all fair knocks on him because we saw that last year. We saw inconsistency. You know, 
Nobody talks about it, but he did miss Brian Edwards wide open for a touchdown in the corner of the end zone against App State that if there was no flag, would have won the game. Nobody talks about that because the flag bailed it out, but that's a thing. And again, he was hurt. I get it. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate, okay? I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. I like Ryan Holinsky, like his game. But if South Carolina's 3-1 or, God forbid, 4-0, but Ryan Holinsky's not playing well, okay? Not playing well. Do you think Will Muschamp will have the nuts? Or will Mike Bobo have the guts to give a look to another quarterback, and specifically Luke Doty? Do you think that possibility may happen? Because you remember, Dabo Sweeney did it. Dabo Sweeney benched Kelly Bryant, a quarterback who had taken them to the national championship to unprecedented heights because he knew Trevor Lawrence was the long-term answer. Would Muschamp and company have the guts to do that? And again, I know that's going to piss a lot of you off, and I really don't care, but I think it's a fair question. Would they have the the guts to do that? Because again, I I just think in the long term, you're going to need a quarterback that's like a Connor Shaw that can beat you with both his legs and his arm. I, that's just my opinion. And I think I think Bobo's not opposed to running spread. But you cannot run spread with Ryan Helinski. You can't do it. He can't run. Don't ask him to do things he can't do well. Just pointless. You're not fooling anyone. You know? Even Jake Bentley was somewhat agile. Like, there were some, some plays where Jake Bentley was like, you, you watched him and you're like, wow, he evaded that guy I think it was 2017 Jake ran for like two touchdowns against Vandy you were like what I I just think that you need that in your offense a a team like South Carolina the spread was invented for teams with lesser talent to compete against the bigger teams to use their speed and athleticism that you do have so again I'm giving the quarterback position an overall grade of a C plus. I think this is an intriguing position because it's it, listen, it's Ryan Helinski's to lose. I mean, he he's the one with the experience. He's played in those battles in the SEC games. It's his position to lose. And, and I fully support three. I think he he's 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 set up to have a great year. But he's not a he's not a perfect quarterback. And, and I know that, you know, I may get ripped for it for saying that. He's not a perfect quarterback. I think he has the potential. I think he has the ceiling. And I think a lot of it's going to come down to the position he's put in as far as the offensive scheme. I really do. And does he have a running game to support him? But again, I think it'll be interesting to see. Does Colin Hill push? Does Luke Doty? I mean, ideally, Ryan Helensky balls out and Luke Doty redshirts. I mean, that's the ideal situation, right? Nobody's denying that. That's the ideal situation. But... I think it'll be interesting to see just how much, if any, how much, if any, competition do we see? How much is Ryan Helinski pushed? You know what I mean? Because competition, iron sharpens iron. Iron, there's no question. Comp, the best teams in college football, the best teams, period, have a lot of competition. So, again, it's Ryan Helinski's to lose. Will Colin Hill push for the job? Will Luke Doty? Will Luke Doty see any action? Will he push for it? It'll be interesting to see. Excited about it, for sure. 
Um, all right, let's get into a couple of news and notes, then we'll get to your listener questions. Obviously, I could go on and on with these news and notes because we haven't been talked. We haven't talked for two weeks, so there's a lot that happened. But I'm going to go over kind of the highlight stuff that happened recently. Uh, Noah Campbell signing with the Brewers. He has decided to pr- pursue professional baseball. Uh, good for him. You know, I posted on social media, and you know, I it, I wasn't going to say anything. I didn't say anything on social media today, but you know. I don't know what it is with this with this kid as far as his inner circle has always gotten on me for just posting his stats. And that's all I've done. I didn't pick on Noah Campbell. I, I don't have any beef with Noah Campbell. I was his biggest fan when he played. I, I've cheered Noah Campbell. I, I supported him, whatever. But bottom line is this was a kid that was a Cape Cod star, hit 344, I think, in two seasons in the Cape in the summer, which is the best collegiate wood bat league. He's playing against the best competition. But for whatever reason, just could not figure it out in Columbia. And I don't know why, and it's a shame. And maybe he would have hit 350 in the SEC this spring. I don't know. But word of the wise for anyone listening, if, if you know someone or maybe you're a high school athlete or whatever, if somebody tweets about your stats, don't attack them because they're just posting your stats. Those are your stats. I didn't hit 256 this year in non-conference. You did. So don't get mad at me for saying you did. I'm off my soapbox now. Anyways, congratulations, Noah Campbell. I think he's a guy with a ton of tools that if, I think if he's, develop, if he's developed correctly, could be a guy that maybe makes it to the big leagues. Who knows? Who knows? So, nothing. hey, nothing but love for Noah Campbell from my side. Nothing but love. So, congratulations, Noah Campbell. Um, oh, yeah, by the way, <laughs> something that happened, what was it, last week? I think last week. I am blocked by Gamecock football on all social media, um, <laughs> on my personal and the Spurs Up Show accounts at Gamecock FB on Twitter and Instagram has blocked us, blocked me, whatever. Um, I know a lot of people had questions about it, and it was just something random that came up that day. I was like, you know what? This happened last summer, by the way. This happened last summer. I'm going to release probably, probably sometime next week, like a little mini show, like on a Tuesday or Wednesday to just kind of give some inside and some insight, give an inside look at why that happened and what happened. Um, but this was before the fire must champ stuff. So I know, I know a lot of people say, Oh, well, you know, you reap what you sow. Like, no, this happened way before that. And I think you might find the story quite funny. I know I do. So anyways, we'll talk about that next week. Um, Ray Tanner making comments that, you know, if we, if we properly socially distance 15,000 could get into Williams Bryce, Dude, I just want football at this point. I don't even care. I'll I'll not go to a single game. I just want football. I just want to have games. I do. Um, I just want to have games. Period. That, that's that's all I want. Just just give me games. So, um, last thing, commitment season. South I'm picking up a lot of commitments. A lot of three star guys. I know a lot of you are worried. Hey, we keep shooting up the rankings. I'm not. I, I'm not going to go through – you guys know me. I'm not going to go through and individually break these guys down. I'm not. I'm not. But a lot of commitments, I, we'll, we'll break those down more in a later show. But, um, yeah, I mean, just it'd be, it would take forever to break down four or five guys that we've gotten over the last two weeks. But it seems like momentum is picking up on the recruiting trail, which is a good thing for sure. All right, let's get into your listener questions. There are some really good questions here, especially about the quarterback position and other things as well. Um, Mr. Josh Matthews says, Luke Doty is the guy to go with. Interesting comments, Josh. Interesting. Um, 
Bongles 16. Will Colin Hill be the starting quarterback? I do not think so. I don't think so. No. Riley.007.parish. What prospect who hasn't committed any star in 2021 do you want at USC? That's tough to say. Um, I don't know because they're all out-of-state guys. I just want to start pulling in some four and five stars, man. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I want to start pulling in some four and five stars. So, and Riley, okay, got, got, Riley Parrish got a couple questions. Why are you so high on Hill when Ryan is the guy and then Luke are above him for sure? I'm not high on Colin Hill. I'm not like – I don't think Colin Hill's some world beater. I mean, dude, he, he had pedestrian stats at Colorado State. I'm not saying that, like, he's some great quarterback. I'm just saying he's most familiar with the Mike Bobo offense. And, I mean, I don't think it's coincidence that Colin Hill came here. Like, you know, he's most familiar with that offense. Do I think he's going to start? No. No, I don't. But would it completely shock me? No, it wouldn't. It really wouldn't. Um, he says again, would you rather have Lorenzo Nunez as quarterback or Brandon McElwain best on SC, based on SC games? I'd go Brandon McElwain. I, I still think McElwain could have developed into something nice at the quarterback position. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. I know a lot of people would think I'm stupid, but I, I, I don't know. I'd go Brandon McElwain over Nunez. Um, Scott W. Lawson. Will we even have football at all, man? I think we will. I'm staying positive, optimistic. I think we will have football. I don't think we'll have st- uh, fans in the seats, but I think we'll have football. Um, Scott W. Lawson, again, Ryan's such a great guy, passer, but at the end of the day, SC needs a dual-threat quarterback, right? I mean, you know, I said in the show, I think to win big at South Carolina, I think you do. I, I just – I don't – I think – like I said, I don't think South Carolina is good enough to play 10 on 11, which is basically what you do when you have a quarterback that just can't run. I mean, Ryan Linsky can't run, bro. Ryan Linsky can't run. He can't. He's slow. He's so slow. It's no knock on Ryan, but he just is. He just is slow. There's no other way to put it. So, I think so. For the long term, yes. I, th- I think you do. I think it helps. It certainly helps. It don't hurt. Definitely helps. Evan B underscore 100. Could South Carolina be a contender if we don't screw up one of the first six games? Um, I mean, yeah, if you go into Florida 4-0, and I mean, you're technically a contender at that point. I mean – yeah, yeah, I mean, the more you win, the more serious a contender you become. You know, and I said this before on a couple weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago, if South Carolina starts 4-0 and and you're 4-0 and going to Gainesville, that's the biggest game of the must-champ era. That's the biggest game for South Carolina since 2013. I mean, maybe, maybe Georgia 2014. But that's one of the biggest games since the glory days of Carolina football because you're probably ranked. It'll be for first place in the SEC East. Like, yeah, there'll be a lot on the line for that game. So, yeah, I would definitely say that, hey, the more you win, the more you can argue, hey, South Carolina's a contender. The more you can argue that. Um, give me just one second. I'm going to go back to the tweet because I think there were some responses. There were some responses to the tweet as well talking about – here we go. Yeah, yeah, there were definitely some replies. Um Terrence Harris, how much do you think Kalinsky will improve from last season? I think that's the million-dollar question. I, I expect him to certainly improve. I think his mechanics will be better. Mike Bobo pointed those out. How much will he? How much better will he be, though? Interesting to see. 
Um, Terrence Harris, again, he actually had a couple of questions. Should Muschamp let someone else start against Coastal or East Carolina to try and give someone like Doty some experience since he can always put Helensky back in if he needs to? I say no. No, you need to get Helensky as many positive reps as possible. What I mean by that is completions, touchdowns, positive plays. So I think you need to get as many, get him as many, as much confidence as you can going into SEC play. Uh, Jay Rochelle. Honestly, this is the deepest Muschamp's quarterback room has ever been here at South Carolina. If you can't do anything good with four good quarterbacks, two of which I think truly have pro talent and skill in Helensky and Doty, it definitely will be time to move on from the boom experiment. I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, Michael Cavalier says, Colin Hill is a very good quarterback. Him and Doty Helensky should be lethal for a 2-3 quarterback rotation. Now, I don't think there will be a rotation like that. I could be wrong. I, you know, I could be wrong but I don't see a rotation happening. I think they're going to try to go with a guy and stick with him. Um, again, could be wrong, but I don't see that. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for the listener questions. Appreciate the listener questions, guys, as always. Makes it a lot of fun. Got a fantastic interview. Very excited for this interview. Former Gamecocks defensive back Vic Hampton. We all remember Vic. Tenacious player. Played on some of the best defenses in school history. Helped lead Carolina to three straight 11-win seasons, three straight bowl wins. We had a fantastic conversation. I'm not even joking, guys. One of the best conversations I've ever had on the podcast. Vic was absolutely fantastic. So sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek once again. Go download the SeatGeek app. Go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase, guys. You want to be the first ones to get your tickets when Sports returns with fans. Whatever sport it is, it does not matter. They've got it for you. So, again, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. Enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks defensive back Vic Hampton. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2010 to 2013. During his career, he had 105 career tackles, eight tackles for loss, a sack, and five interceptions. He was named second team All-SEC in 2013 and helped lead South Carolina to three straight 11-win seasons and three straight bowl game victories as well. Very pleased to be joined by former Gamecocks defensive back Vic Hampton. Vic, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. What's up, my guy? Appreciate the invite. Absolutely. So, Vic, I want to start back at the beginning for you because you were a guy, very highly touted defensive back recruit. Um, you played in the U.S. Army All-American game. You were a four-star recruit out of Darlington, South Carolina. You went to Darlington High School. Just talk about, I know I was reading up, you picked South Carolina. You were also considering Tennessee, North Carolina. I'm sure the list of schools that offered you was was pretty long, obviously, being the type of prospect you were. But just talk about the recruiting process, your first interactions with South Carolina, and what eventually led you to stay in-state and uh, pick Carolina. Honestly, South Carolina kind of fell to my hands. Uh, I moved around a lot in high school. I went to about five, six high schools. Darlington just happened to be the last school I went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will really say I'm from Charlotte. I went to Independence. Mm-hmm. So okay. uh, I played for Tom Knotts up there, and uh, that's when I became highly recruited. Uh, I actually committed to the Gators um, my junior year, and uh, when I went up there, I uh, just didn't like it as much as I did as much as I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I decommitted, and um, I was going to go to Tennessee with Lane Kiffin. Then Lane Kiffin wound up leaving and going to USC. Um, I didn't want to go to Clemson, and then uh, I came up here for my official visit, and I had some friends on the team, and that's really what kind of got me. Uh, wanted to commit here. 
so it was just kind of meant to be at that point. I feel like with all the all the other places kind of falling through, if you will. Um, and, yeah, pretty much. And you, you mentioned Tom Knotts. I mean, he's obviously a guy that I think probably everybody that listens to the show and anybody who knows anything about high school football in the state of South Carolina at this point knows who he is with what he's done at Dutch Fork and everything. Um, exactly. He did even more at Independence, though, seven yeah. years in a row. So, Yeah, crazy, crazy for sure. 115-game um, winning streak. Good Lord. Um, I want to ask you, because obviously you got on campus 2010, you were redshirted as a true freshman, but talk about, you know, you played for Steve Spurrier, you played under those Lorenzo Ward defenses. Just, just talk about your first interactions with the coaching staff. And I guess what was their vision for you? And I, you know, I know again, the other schools, it just sort of fell through, but what, what did you like about South Carolina? And I guess what sold you on, on, on Carolina and, you know, did you see the run coming that you guys went through from winning the SEC East in 2010? I know you redshirted, but winning the East and setting up those those three straight 11-win seasons. Well, I came here because I had friends, but I also came here because I saw what the team was going to. Um, my first game was that Thursday night against uh, Ole Miss mm-hmm. uh, in high school. So, And Ole Miss was, like, ranked number two at that time, and it was, like, so loud. It was like the most electric thing I've probably ever experienced at that age. So um, I just knew what the team was, was what the team was doing. Uh, of course, Coach Spurrier was a, a big name for coaching wise as well. Um, that, that year I redshirted, I actually was playing offense. Mm-hmm. I wasn't playing defense. I was playing a uh, receiver and running back. Um, so that's why I wound up redshirting. Coach Junior wanted me to learn everything and get acclimated. Um, then I wound up meeting coach Lorenzo and, uh, we hit it off. So I just wanted to play in DB and, um, he gave me opportunity to play my sophomore year and I basically started playing like a starter. What was it something where you played defense in high school as well? I mean, were you a guy that was both ways or. Um... Yeah, I was both ways. Okay. My junior year, uh, my junior year independence, I only played defense. My co- coach Knotts would not allow me to play both <laughs> ways my first year with him. Right. So I had 10 interceptions and 70 tackles, and that ranked me like number two in the nation at corner. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not surprised, honestly, to hear that you were an offensive guy because when you take a look at, you know, your your film, if you will, and your highlights, and you see you, see you with the ball in your hands, I mean, it's, it's, it's evident, it's obvious that you were a guy that was comfortable with the football in your hands. Obviously, they had you back there, kick returner, punt returner, and then, you know, definitely a couple of the interceptions you can see. I mean, your, your eyes were set on taking it to the house every single time. But – um, talk about that first year, 2011, you played, I know you played in 10 games. Again, you played corner, you played kick return. How would you grade your first year playing defense, you know, at the SEC level? Again, you had played defense in high school, but, you know, played off or were, was, was an offensive guy when you got on campus, but overall grading your first year, you know, how, how do you, how do you feel like you fared and how was the adjustment going from high school football to SEC football? I would say my first year actually playing was like a B, maybe like a B minus. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really give up big plays. My worst game was the Arkansas game. Mm. That was like the first game where, you know, I think they had Ryan Mallet. They were like really throwing that thing. Mm. Um, I feel good about my first year. Um, I got, I didn't start a lot of games, but I finished all the games. So that kind of let me know that I was doing well because most of the DBs that were on the team still were older than me. Mm. But I was, me and Stefan Gilmore, my freshman year, were pretty much the last corners that would finish the game. So, um, that's why I feel good about my, my freshman, my redshirt freshman year. Coach Lorenzo uh, trusted me in like big moments. 
played against Auburn that year at home. Mm. Very close game in the Army fatigue. You remember that? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was at that game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. So that was like the first big, big game, and I was and I was able to, like, finish that game. So um, I feel good about my first year. And I was going to say you had your first ever, if I'm correct, you had your first ever career interception the next week, correct, against Kentucky, I think, at home. Against Kentucky. Yeah. Yep. You, you know, that first... felt good. Yeah. yeah, that felt awesome. I went up and got it. Um, they tried me deep, so I had to make a play on it. And um, my, my teammates were super happy for me because they knew it was my first one. Was that – did you feel like that was kind of like your – your moment where you're like, okay, I'm here. Like, this is kind of like your arrival, if you will, to that, to that defense. Cause I, I, th- I think the thing that's so awesome about all three of the years that you were on that defense, but I, there was so much competition. There's so many guys that were big playmakers every year, every game. It was a different name making the play to save the game or, you know, to change the momentum or whatever. And I feel like that was, it seemed like after that point, you were one of the, you kind of inserted yourself as one of those guys that was one of those impact guys in the secondary. I would say my redshirt year helped with that. That play definitely, you know, finally gave, like, okay, if they throw his way, you know, his opportunity, he's probably going to pick it. But my whole freshman redshirt year, everyone knew what type of talent I was. It was more about getting everything in order off the field, you know, getting to class on time, not getting suspended for class, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So the talent was really never the question. It was more of, like, off the field issues that they wanted me to straighten up before they really gave me an opportunity to play. Yeah, I was gonna say people underestimate the uh, the adjustment, not not just on the field, but, you know, going, you know, we've I, I was a college athlete, it's just going to college, getting away from home, nobody's there to, you know, to wake you up for class, tell you what to do. And yeah, it's just, that is an adjustment. People don't understand that for these dudes, it is it is a, a big, some of them, it's a culture shock, but it's a major change as well, for sure. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Then I came in on like a uh, like a restrictions thing, like you can't miss a certain amount of classes or you're going right. to lose this amount of games. So that's why I actually wound up being suspended my first three games of my res- my after my research freshman year because of mm. classes. Mm. First, I-, I wanted to ask you about your playing style, because, again, it fit in perfectly with, you know, I- I've talked to other guys, your former teammates, about like the goon squad mentality. I know it started back in like, you know, the mid to late 2000s with those guys, Eric Norwood, Jasper Brinkley, you know, Carlos Thomas, Captain Munnerlyn, some of the secondary guys, whatever, and it just evolved and kept going with you guys. But your attitude, your style, that I think that's what really sticks out to to Gamecock fans everywhere, even to this day, is the the tenacity you played with, the nastiness, if you will. Like when people talk about you, they talk about you being a a big hitter type of guy. You know, you had some punishing hits, you know, in your time. And I'm going to talk about those in just a second. You know, you were playing along DJ Swearinger, who was a guy who certainly set the tone for that defense, but where did that come from for you? Is that always just kind of ingrained in you, that attitude? I mean, you were a guy that just flat out played with a bad attitude, I think is the best way. And I feel like it's a, it's a major compliment to your game as well. You play with a bad attitude in the secondary. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know. Like, I was raised – I moved around a lot. So – and I didn't have a pops in my life like this. So, mm-hmm. um, just moving around a lot, adjusting to different environments. Um, you know, I've never been anti, so – Anywhere I moved, I always made friends. Mm. Um, so I didn't have a problem. I've never been afraid of approaching, like, situations that may be more difficult for others. Um, also, like, at corner, man, you got to have, like, that type of mentality. Like, and I played boundary corner. You know, I didn't, I didn't really play a lot of field corner. I was, like, the boundary corner. So 
where they run the ball to, you know, like you got to come up and make those type of plays where they put their best wide receiver and you got to play them by yourself. You just, you out there on the island, like if you playing scared, corner ain't really for you. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. So I want to shift gears a little bit, Vic. I got to ask you, I ask all the guys about the Carolina Clemson rivalry, you being an in-state guy, being from Darlington, South Carolina, you talked about you didn't want to go to Clemson, um, you went undefeated against those guys. I mean, even 2010 when you redshirted, you literally went 4-0 against them, which I know has to be a really, really good feeling. Um, just talk about that rivalry, though. Again, playing in that rivalry, I mean, a lot of the games you played in were not close. You guys pretty much took them out, especially defensively. I mean, those were some – I remember 2011 specifically. I, I forget I forget who I was talking to about this a few weeks ago, but when Taj Boyd tweeted that he thought the – the defense and specifically the defensive line was average. And, I mean, you, you guys just dominated them. It seemed like all of those years. But j- just talk about being in the middle of those battles, being in, being in those games, um, and, you know, to be able to say that you went undefeated against uh, against your bitter rival while you were there. Man, that's, a, that's one of the best feelings, bro. Like, now I can't really talk much because we've kind of been getting <laughs> – <laughs> you know, we've been yeah. Oh, yeah. losing about five or six in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I feel like some of us guys need to get back around there and really get that mentality back so they they don't just – they kind of like – I don't feel like they have the vibe that we had. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we, we didn't accept um, losing at home. Like, we had the best, like, right. home record ever when I was there, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, they had a talented team, so the difference between the teams they have now and the teams they had then, I don't think there's no difference. Uh, they had Sammy Watkins, you know, they had Taj Boyd, DeAndre Hopkins. Their offense was, like, one of the most explosive offenses. So, it was exciting, man. Like, I, I remember times during that time, like, it was a lot of articles about, you know, me and Sammy going one-on-one. So, Clowney being uh, – going against Taj, getting those four sacks that game. Like, it was a big game for us, man, every year. No matter where we were, if we would have lost every game, that would still always be, like, sold out mm-hmm. <laughs> regardless. So, the rivalry was different, man. It was always on ESPN. Um, yep. You could just tell. You could just feel the atmosphere was just much different. Mm-hmm. No question. I, you know, it, it's funny. I want to go back to something you said. You were talking about the, just the attitude and, the, the, you know, again, the swagger you guys play with and talking about, you know, the current state of the program, which I, I definitely wanted to get more into, you know, a little bit later in the show. But I want to go ahead and address it <clears throat> as far as you're talking about, you know, that just having that attitude – and I, I sort of do agree with you. I think there are guys in the secondary right now for Carolina. I mean, you know, people are projecting Israel McQuamu, J.C. Horn as potential first-rounders. And I'll tell you a guy that I really like that reminds me of somebody like you or a Swearinger is uh, Jamie Robinson. I think he – I love the way he plays. Um, is that number six? Yeah, number seven. Number seven. Yeah, seven, but seven. He, was, okay. he, was a, he was a true freshman last year, had a pick against Florida. But he, he's one of those hard-hitter guys. I mean, he, he made a few mistakes, obviously, true freshman. I mean, what do you expect? But plays with that swagger, that attitude. But So you would say that's something you want to see more of, I guess, you know, assuming everything is all and well and we have a, you know, have a season this year, just assuming everything goes as normal. That's something you want to see more of because that, that's the thing. I, I'll tell you this, Vic, is that, you know, you can talk to anyone. I, I'm pretty tough on uh, Israel McQuamu and J.C. Horn just because I feel like when you talk as much as they do, you have to be able to back it up. And, I mean, I just think that, you know, it, it's if you're going to talk like Dion, you have to play like Dion. You know what I mean? Yeah. And those guys yeah. are really good, but, you know, a guy like J.C. Horn, my biggest knock on him is like two years and he has no interceptions. It's like, 
you got to put up the statistics, you know, if you want to be considered the best, right. the best, the best defensive back duo in the country or even in the SEC. Because again, when guys like yourself and Swearinger and Gilmore, and you just start rattling off these names have come through, you know, you, you kind of have to put some respect on what those guys did too. You know what I mean? Right. So I agree right. with you. I think, I, I think the attitude, we do need to see a little bit, a little bit more of an attitude shift and not even just that, but backing up the attitude too, because I feel like that was the thing with you guys is that, you guys had that attitude. I mean, you had a bad attitude. You had that swagger, but I feel like you guys also backed it up as well. And we're, you know, you would hit somebody in the mouth and just set the tone. I mean, it just, yeah. you know, you got to be able to set the tone. I feel like, and not just have the attitude of back it up as well with your play. I just, I don't know. That's just, just my opinion. I mean, when I, when I came in, I had grown men on that team too, though. That's yeah, one right. thing I can say is the difference too, maybe is like when I came in, man, like I could have played my freshman year. They actually tried to make me, take my red shirt the freshman year against Tennessee. Um, but I chose not to because I was going to be like a kick returner and that's mm-hmm. it or something. I wasn't going to get an opportunity to like play anything else. I didn't want to do that. Um, but like when I came in, man, we had guys like Trey Man Robertson, Melvin mm-hmm. Ingram, uh, Shaq, uh, Shaq Tom, was, what was, um, what was Shaq's last name? Diesel. We used to call him Diesel. Um, we yeah, Shaq, had, we Shaq had Thompson. Devontae Holliman. Yeah, yeah it's Thompson. So we had like a lot of grown men, man, that like they were already like that mentality. They just wouldn't allow us to have it. Also right. the camaraderie, like the culture was leaders. set, you're saying. Yeah, like the culture was set. You know, like we had team functions. When I come down here, like the team is in groups. Like they don't have like a lot of events together. When I was there, we used to throw fish fries, we used to throw pool parties, we used to throw like bowling parties like we just did everything together everybody knew each other you know what i'm saying like i don't see the same like the same culture the same team aspect of everyone's like on the same page you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like i don't see those guys that's really stepping out to be the leaders and then um at at corner like we do have defensive back wise i'm super excited about the defensive backs i think like everyone's getting older now like Mm -hmm. it's like their third year They've mm-hmm. been through a lot. So um, the D-line, I feel like the D-line is getting better. That was another thing i seen that was, like, much different from us. Our D-line was, like, yeah, our I, D-line was I, I was about to ask you about that because I was going to say just, you know, I mean, how much fun was it for, for you being a DB when you have a guy like Clowney on the D-line, Devin Taylor, you're talking about Travian Robinson, Melvin Ingram. I mean, they make your life as a defensive back a lot easier. And, I mean, that forcing those bad throws and you guys are just back there just to – just take advantage. I mean, it's man, like, I, I remember, I remember, I can remember some plays where like if my D line might not would have been there, I might've would have gave up like a catch, not like a big play, <laughs> right. but like maybe a catch, you know what I'm saying? So right, right. there are definitely some opportunities where, you know, by having an awesome D, D line, it put pressure on the quarterback to make like a perfect throw or a perfect timing on there. Um, you know, on what they needed to do execution-wise. So having a D-line, bro, is very important for DBs. Not right. even going to lie to you. So no, that's sure. another thing. Like, our DBs now, they do cover maybe on average two seconds longer than we might have had right. to. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I know you – obviously you played with Sherrod Golightly and I had him on the show. And that was – you know, he was on that 2014 defense. And I know a lot of, a lot of fans and outsiders, they say, oh, what happened with the defense – you know, and that was kind of the thing he alluded to was it was just saying that, you know, 
the biggest help to a secondary is a great defensive line. And when you lose Clowney and you lose all the guys we had, it just wasn't quite the same in 2014 as far as, like you said, that extra second or two, that's really all it takes to spring a guy, get him open, you know, and then you're, you're standing there just wondering what happens. <laughs> that's one thing I wish I would have done, though. I wish I would have stayed for 14, mm-hmm. uh, not because uh, I wasn't good enough to go, but it would have been my team. Like right, I, right. I finally it'd have been your secondary for sure. Yeah, yeah. it would have been mine's man. Like it would have been no ifs, ands, or buts. It would have been no questions. Like I definitely would have finally had everything I wanted. You know, I would have had the opportunity to be the kind of like a positive role model. You know, teaching guys from my mistakes earlier in my career. Like it would have been a chance to kind of turn mm-hmm. around some of the naysayers. You know, negative wise for mm-hmm. myself. So and that's uh, one know, thing I always wish I did. Yeah, and that's that's certainly something I want to talk about because again, you made that decision um, to go after your after the thirteen season could have returned. I mean, everything happens for a reason, for sure. There's no question, and there there's no mistakes. I believe that. But so you're saying you you is that like one of your regrets? You wish you came back. I mean, how how tough was the decision, um, and what factored into that decision as far as whether to stay or whether to go? Well, my family situation is right. what factored into it. Um, honestly, just like. I was already taking care of family members in college. So Mm -hmm. um, it just had became like I had no option of staying for another year just due to like my family situation, to be honest. Um, That's really what made the decision, man. And then um, just like talking to Clowney, talking to Ellington, talking to like some certain agents, they were saying like I would be top five in corners, you know, should be no later than second, first, second round. And Spurrier always encouraged us, like, you know, if you get that grade and it says first or second, you should go. If it's saying, like, third or fourth, you should stay. So, you know, my grade was first, second, top five, top six corners. Um, Without trouble, without getting arrested, without getting into that fight, TMZ, all that stuff after the draft, before the draft, I would have been okay. So I regret it a little bit, but I know some of my mistakes after that is what caused me, what caused uh, happening to me. All right. I, since since we're on the t- the subject, I'll ask you. I'm not going to ask you about every single like you know thing that happened or whatever, and not getting the details. But I guess yeah, I'm very open, man. I'm very no, open. no, for sure, for sure. I just want to ask you more so though because things happen. You know what I mean? Like we we make decisions in the moment or whatever. But what would you say? You know, because every everything that happens, there's a lesson. You know, you can pull from. I say it's only a mistake if you don't learn something from it. What what would you say? From everything that happened off the field for you, what, what's the biggest takeaway? What did you learn from it? How did you use it, I guess, to better yourself and, you know, just kind of keep moving forward, if you will? Choosing battles, man. Like, hmm. choosing your battles wisely. Um, watching who you really surround yourself with because everybody do not have your best interest at heart, man. Hmm. Um, and when you're in a position like I was in, um, like, you got to understand, like, it's, that's a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And uh, at that age, sometimes you really don't understand that. It's like you got to – sometimes you just got to fall on your butt and get back right. up. Um, so that's one thing I learned, man, just choosing battles better, uh, surrounding my people with better – surrounding myself with better people who's kind of doing exactly what I'm doing or has something going for themselves. Um, yeah, man, just being smarter, bro, understanding the situation. 
No, for sure. For sure. I think you make great points as far as surrounding yourself with the right people, for sure. There's no, no doubt. No doubt. I think there's a lot of people that could benefit from that. I, I want to get back on the field. Let's talk football again. You know, it's, it's funny. When I bring on guys that have, you know, played on the teams you played on, I mean, the best run ever in South Carolina football history, you know, the best teams ever in South Carolina football history. I always talk to them about – so. there were so many memorable games from the times you were there. So many. So many. And it, it would take so hours to just break them down and talk about them. What? It's – if you had to pick, if you had to pick one game that like stands you gotta out, you got to give me three. You got to at least give you, me three. three man. All right, so you three. Listen, three. I'll just say, what were the most? If you like, because again, we could talk about twelve Georgia. We could talk about any of the Clemson games. We could talk about any of the bowl games. But like, what are the most memorable games for you that stick out? That like when people ask you about your time at Carolina, those are the games that you're like. All right, so crazy. one of the funnest games was definitely Missouri. Missouri, that triple overtime. Oh yeah, yeah. Caught yeah. It on the. At their play. The last play of the game, mm-hmm. we were down like 28-0. And then uh, uh, Connor came back. Connor came in and like just important. Yeah. I think he came in in like the fourth quarter, bro. Yeah, yeah. We were yeah. down like 28-0. And like we just – they didn't score no more. And Connor just started throwing that thing, like running, mm-hmm. throwing. I think he was hurt too. Like Yeah, he was sick. He was sick. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like that was one of the – like if I was him, that would be like probably my favorite game for him. Right. Um, but yeah, that that game was super exciting, bro. Um, then LSU, of course, like when we played at LSU, like yeah. that, man, that was like one of the best atmospheres. Ten, like, you had you had ten total tackles in that game too. Had a good yes, game. man. I was hitting like a like like I don't know what the most tackles like, you had in a game that year. So yeah, man. And I think actually was, in your career, that was the most you had in a single probably, game in your career. Yeah, probably, bro. Yeah. Probably in my career because. That game, I felt like DJ Swearinger. That game, like <laughs> I was, I was hitting that corner like I was a safety man. Like it was, it was just crazy. They was lining up in like, in like three tight ends and just running at us the whole game. Like we gonna try y'all this game. Right. So that was an exciting game. And then Odell and Jarvis Landry were at wide receivers. Yeah. So it was like I still had to be on my toes at wide out. So that was a super exciting game. Um, Tennessee, when we lost uh, by that field goal, mm. uh, that was super exciting. I don't know if you remember that, but they hit a, yeah, a game-winning field goal at Tennessee yeah. on 13, us. 13, yeah. Yeah, man. Mm. So, we had a lot of exciting games, man. Um, Georgia was always exciting. You know that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hate so, each I would other. say those games, man, were probably probably the most exciting ones, the most memorable. So, you, Hex, you, Auburn, too, though. Auburn, too, man, at, at that year with the Army fatigue, that was like my mm. first – big game and I think they won against us like on a reverse pass or something. Yeah, the Lutzenkirk. That guy that Lutzenkirk guy that passed play. away in the accident, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lutzenkirk. Yep. Yeah, man, that that was that was a close game too, so a lot of games when I was there. Uh, so I want to actually let's switch gears a little bit. You've talked about the uh the army the uh the Army uniforms you guys wore against Auburn. Was that your favorite uni combo? Because I know you guys also wore the battle armors against uh, LSU, LSU at their place. Those, no, were, LSU, those were pretty fire. LSU was definitely the best. The, the silver joints. Wait, was that your favorite uniform you wore while you were in school? Yeah. yeah. Heck, so the silver want, joints The battle grays. The battle grays. Yeah. I'm telling you, them silver joints was like – there was actually there, were, there was actually a rendition done by uh, a different Gamecock account uh, – Today, actually, and he put up that those uniforms with a black helmet. I have to say, they look pretty good. Ooh, that, think, yeah. that might would have been with, tough. with a flat black helmet. Yeah. See, but that was one thing about Sperry, like all that switching helmets and all that. Yeah, he stuff wasn't. He wasn't about that. that. One white, <laughs> that one white helmet. 
You know, yep. we was gonna wear garnet on garnet. When we played away, we might do white and red pants, right. but he was very he was never gonna wear black. He was very superstitious. I think he was very superstitious with the, the jersey. Every time during his career career, when we wore black, look at it, we literally yeah. lost. <laughs> Yeah, every time right. we wore black, we lost, bro. I don't think we ever won wearing the battle the battle uniforms, either, the the army uniforms either. I don't honestly. think we did either. I don't think we ever I, have. I don't think we we did either. But yeah. Muschamp has well, I can't say he switched it, but he's right. his mindset on it is much different. Yeah, no, for sure. They've definitely played with the uniforms, which has been fun. It's cool. It, it's funny though. I think the more that we switch the uniforms, the more I'm like, appreciate how nice just white garnet white is. And then I love, <laughs> I love, I love big game garnet because I think of winning when yeah, I see, they don't even wear that, it no more. When like, you see that uni combo, I, I think of winning big games because bro, they're tripping, bro. Like that's yeah. the one thing I never see them wear. And I'm like, the 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 players, they, they give the players options and the players, like the new players. Yeah. The days, players like, are picking it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, like the new the they all them uni switches and stuff because the recruits be liking that stuff. Yeah, when yeah. we was there, bro, like we was we was with that garnet on garnet, like yeah. that garnet on garnet. And day games when we played Florida, mm-hmm. like we was garnet on garnet. We was not playing like and yeah. I think almost any time we wore garnet on garnet, we probably won, bro. Yeah. I mean the first game that Garnet on Garnet ever got pulled out was that oh nine old miss game you were talking about. And that kind of set the tone. And we won that game, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that was oh, at yeah, home. Yeah. Yeah, that was beat yeah. old number four Ole Miss. So, um, yeah, something definitely something to it. I agree with you. Um, kind of they had McCullis, McCluster and all that. Yeah, like, yeah, Jevin Sneed, the late Jevin Sneed, RIP. What um, happened to him? I I'm not 100% sure, but he passed away. I'd have to look it up, but he passed away, I think, like four or five months ago. So, yeah, crazy. I mean, he, uh, I'd have to look it up. Was it the oh, Rona, it called, calls with CTE from concussions? Apparently. Oh wow! Yeah, apparently he had concussions. I I don't know, just crazy. I have no idea. So now nah, that's scary. Yeah, for sure. Because he he was around uh what thirty early thirty. Yeah, he probably. he wasn't he was not old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, wow. he, he was that's not crazy. old. Um, yeah, apparently Jevin Sneak yeah took his own life because that was it was in part it was due to it was tied to CTE. So wow, yeah. But not so not to make light of it, but I want to speaking of that and speaking of helmet to helmet hits, I want to ask you, what was the harder hit for you? Because you had a couple big hard hit. What was the harder hit? Was it the hit against the quarterback from Wisconsin in the bowl game that everybody remembers? Was it that hit or was it the helmet to helmet hit you took against North Carolina when you're falling to the ground and their dude just Somehow gets a helmet to helmet and doesn't get a flag. For me, for me, pain wise, it was North Carolina. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't. And that was you when took they had, the blow, you know, not delivered it. <laughs> man, I'm talking yeah, exactly. So, and I'm talking about literally that year. Um, they had started making the. That was like the first year they started making like all them hit rules. Right, right. So, like, my coaches went crazy because I didn't get a flag on that play. No, yeah, yeah. I, I remember watching the highlight. You get up and you're like freaking out because I mean it was it was the definition of helmet to helmet. There's no you know no way you no can look at that and not see. Yeah. About it, bro. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought I was gonna be out for that game for the rest of the game. I thought I had like a concussion or something, but I wound up being okay and uh, wound up coming back in. I think like maybe the same quarter. Right. Yeah. Because you didn't miss any time. No, I didn't you miss did any not, time. You did not miss any time. 
How how funny was it for you guys? But I I know that players say like they don't pay any attention to the outside noise or social. Like this is because I feel like that's when social media was really starting to take off with Twitter and stuff, and more and more people were getting on it. But how funny was it to you guys? Because I don't know if you remember what the narrative or like what the the conversation was after that UNC game. Everybody remembers it was like 110 degrees that day. Like I mean, I was there. It was oh, brutally. Yes. It was brutally hot. And the the conversation Friday on Sports Center was. Oh, is Jadavion Clowney out of shape? Like he's drag, dragging on the field. I feel like for you guys that just had to be hilarious because I'm sure Clowney had to just laugh at that too because it was the most absurd thing ever. But he came into that season. If you you know, I know you remember like everybody's talking about him winning the Heisman Trophy, and this was right after the Michigan hit. And like, I just feel like for you guys in the locker room, that had to be so funny to hear people saying, "Oh, is JD Clowney out of shape?" It's like he's probably one of the most in shape human beings on this planet like yeah that that but yeah i understand like he was like damn near jordan of college football at the time like oh yeah no for sure for sure i'm just so saying they like, were gonna find something bro right right they they're gonna, gonna nitpick him something. they're gonna nitpick him no doubt yeah they were they, they, like it got to a point where they said he could have sat out a season and still went number one yeah. so they were yeah. gonna they were definitely gonna do whatever they could to uh to like bash that man or find right. something to some some reason not to give that man all the credit he deserved. Yeah, the thing I love about Clowney when you hear an interview or like see him on social, like he just seems like a genuinely funny dude. Like he just seems like a funny guy. Like if you know him, if he's right. comfortable around you, you're right. he'll definitely, like he has fun playing the game of football. He has a lot of fun playing football. Definitely, sure. definitely. Yeah. But when you that big and you that you you know, <laughs> you it's know, hard not to enjoy it. Yeah, it's hard not to be you think it's fun. Yeah. For sure, um, but yeah, that game was super hot, bro. Yeah, and then, and then uh, that that year, I think we had um, we had went really hard in the off season though. But he had he was he had so much going on that right. year with like uh, like not having to possibly play that you know he didn't have to work out all the time or right. sometimes he wouldn't make the workouts because he didn't even know if he was gonna play that year. Yeah, he was he was going on like Letterman, and I mean he's with Sports Illustrated, and I mean it's just crazy. That that was that was madness, the clowny madness. That was fun though. It, yeah, he, was fun. he he literally became a phenom in front of yeah. our eyes. Bro. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I talked about obviously UNC and then the Wisconsin game. I mean you deliver that blow, and I you know I think it's I guess it's kind of fitting because it was your last game at Carolina, and I mean that's the last impression I think people have of you is that hit. I mean, and I don't know what I don't know what that quarterback was thinking. I don't know what he was thinking that was a good idea, but you made him pay for it. There's no you made him pay for it. I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. Like we locked (laughs) eyes. Like it's like when he locked eyes. It's like he wanted to slide, but we we literally locked. It's only he so did like a little half before. slide thing. I don't like yeah, yeah, like it was like he wanted to, but then he looked me in my eyes, <laughs> and it was like as a man, he felt like he couldn't yeah. slide or something. Like you were challenging his football, manhood. Yeah, like it was like <laughs> literally, bro. Like in football, when you play enough years, there's a is sometimes there's a couple of hits within your football career where you're really gonna lock eyes with the person you're about to hit. Like y'all mm-hmm. are gonna lock eyes. Like, mm-hmm. and that was one of those times, bro. Like. I came from out of nowhere across the field and like we just we just locked eyes, man. And it was like perfect. Like I was able to pro hop into him. Mm-hmm. Like I was about to dunk a basketball. <laughs> I think that's the hardest hit ever at Carolina, if you ask me. I think it was harder than Clowney's hit. Even Spurrier said that it was ha- harder than Clowney's hit. You think it was like harder I put than that uh, for two years. You think it was harder than Swearinger's hit at Clemson? That was a pretty hard one too now. Uh when he on Ellington. Like, uh, when he Ellington. leveled Ellington. Uh 
the only reason I would say, well, I don't know because Ellington's a running back and he yeah. was and he was running full speed. I don't know. I would probably say that was. Hey, I at don't least, know, man. I injured you... my guy. I, I injured my guy for uh, two years, man. That he is broke his collarbone, <laughs> and you know he couldn't throw the ball for the rest of the game. And after that play, like it was done. You you would have been great on Sean Payton's Bounty Gate teams. You'd have gotten like a ten thousand dollar check for that. <laughs> or was it? I thought it was Rex. Was it Rex Ryan? I, I, dude, I feel I like Rex. all of them. I think all of them do it. I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> you know, you're not going to convince me. Defensive coordinators aren't being like, hey, if you go injure the quarterback, I'll give you five grand. Like I forgot what we used to have. We used to do some like I can't remember what we used to do for like one of the hardest hits or most picks. I think our own DBs like we used to do our own little pot. Like you know what I'm saying? Right. Like make it more interesting. Dude, that's gonna, what football is about, though. Yeah. I, I was going to say at least the thing with you is uh, you didn't get the flag like DJ got. You did flex I on did. him, but you didn't get the flag. So I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. That, that did hit, though, man, like you can hear it. Like the crowd, like, mm. like oh, yeah, the crowd yeah. went crazy. Even the commentator, I forgot the commentator's name. Um, he used to play – didn't he used to play quarterback here or something? But Todd Ellis, yeah. Man, he yeah. went crazy on that hit. He went crazy on that hit. Yeah, I'll never forget that hit, bro. That was actually one of the things that made me decide to go ahead and leave too, right. having that hit in that game. Right. That was like – you felt like that was kind of like your stamp. Like you're, if, you, yeah, if man, you draft like, me, this is what you're getting. This is what you're getting. You know what I'm saying? That corner. And then, like, I'm just telling you, man, like I watched my name on that board during the draft for four rounds, bro. Like if I wouldn't have – got arrested in my own house somehow i wouldn't have got into a fight while i was up there on the espn photo shoot living in trump towers for a whole week for free like it's just some unfortunate things that happen you know i i, I don't regret them really right well i, I just want to say i want to ask you similarly how i asked you about the off the field stuff just about your professional football career because i know you bounced around with the bengals giants ravens um, and then I know you went to the major league football draft, I think in 2016, you were in the spring league showcase game in 2017. I know you've, I, you know, I feel like, I feel like you're still trying your hand at it, right? As far as playing, cause I know you did some arena league stuff with Jimmy Legree, correct? Is that right? I think yeah, that's a picture of you guys. Yeah, I did. I'm actually signed to the Spokane shock under the Seattle, uh, Seahawks right now. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. um, I'm I, still chasing everything, man. Right. Yeah, that's oh, just... but, but to get back to my rookie year, I, I signed with the – I was just, like, I went through so much through the draft. And, mm -hmm. like, like it's probably, like, one of the biggest falls, bro. Like, mm -hmm. to be honest, like, I right. was on Mel Kuyper's top ten for four rounds. Like, it got to a point where people were getting drafted from D3 schools. I'm like, right. yo, what is, like, what well, is going well, on? What I was going to say is with what surprises me is I feel like there's so many guys that have issues that they take anyways. I mean, what – Right. What made your situation so – because, I mean, again, I mean, you know, it's not quite the same thing, but, I mean, Laramie Tunsil, the night of the draft, gets shown a video of him with a gas mask on. Like, you have a – you know, the – and I'm not trying to, like, call these guys smoking, out. But, smoking weed. Smoking weed right, right. is different from, you well, know, what about, what about the Dixon? What about the Dixon kid with the Bengals from Oklahoma that punched the girl in the face? I mean, I'm just saying, like, there are guys with issues that do things that get taken anyways. So, I, See, I was for, always – for me, I felt like it was because it was years worth of evidence that I might be like a troublemaker. Right. Right. And, and they like, just tried to pin that on you pretty like, much. I went to six high schools. Right. I was, I had the red shirt. Then when I did get to play, I was suspended. 
uh, my first year. Now, granted, I turned all of that around by the time I was leaving, which is what I thought the story would be. Like, dang, right. this guy came in at this, and he turned right. it around at this. But it was still like, oh, well, he went to six high schools. And to be honest, man, like, Spurrier, like, they didn't, like, really have my back, bro. Like, right? they didn't really, like, like, I feel like if Connie wasn't as good as he was, they would have they would have did what they did to me. But right. since Cloudy was like a phenom player, there's no way they could ever like I remember Spurrier said one ne- negative thing about Clowney and it like went global and like mm. he recanted that shit fast, bro. Like <laughs> like fast as hell. But for right. a guy like me who's just a regular five nine, five ten, second round possible corner cornerback, right, with previous troubles, like it's not I'm not a phenom type of player because of my size like so like they didn't have to like recant things or like with things that were said behind closed doors wouldn't come to light the way they would have like they would if you said that about clowning so I, I was gonna say i feel like your your biggest takeaways from professional football aren't so much about like on the field because i think you know you you would i know you'd certainly agree with this that you have the, the abilities i mean there's not you know there's not a bunch of guys on rosters all over the league that are better than you necessarily but the business side of it I feel like you would probably have a lot of insight on Definitely. just that these these organizations are businesses like it's just bought at the end Definitely. of the day that's what they are that's all they are now right it's like oh man I like my my rookie year I didn't get picked up to like a month after the draft so the Giants were the first team to offer uh, to call me out for a tryout the Bengals called me the same day and offered me to go there the day before the Giants. So, mm-hmm. like, I went to the Bengals. Um, they, ha- they had, like, all the DBs, like, I really liked and know, like Pac-Man. Uh, who else they had at that time? Uh, they had Pac-Man. Uh, we had um, – oh, that's bad. We had uh, dang, Terrence Newman. We had Terrence Newman, Pac-Man, Reggie Nelson. Um, Vontez Burfick, uh, at corner. We also had, uh, uh, what's the Fitzpatrick? What's his name from, uh, Alabama? What was it? Kirk Minka, Patrick? Minka, or Dre Kirkpatrick. And I Dre think Kirkpatrick, a, like yeah. the DBs, like, I just was like, dang, this group is fire. Like, I want to play with these dudes, not thinking politics. Like, bro, it's seven right. first round cornerbacks over here. Like, right. What are you doing? Like, I should have never signed there. I should have went to the Giants right immediately. And <clears throat> I signed with the Bengals. I got cut. Uh, like 30 minutes before the deadline, before the regular season. Like, I was the last person to get cut. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they were going to bring me back. They never brought me back. Then the Giants wound up giving me another chance and re-signing me. Um, the scout told me if I wouldn't have got in trouble, they would have took me for second round, first pick. So, like, that was frustrating to hear, like, the team I should have been with the whole time. Right. So, I missed out on six games of my regular season off that. Um, I should have signed with them after my freshman, my rookie year. Um, I wound up getting into it out there with somebody and then the Ravens offered me. So I just like made an emotional, emotional move instead of a business move. Like mm-hmm. I should have never signed with the Ravens. I should have stayed with the Giants. They literally were like, that was when we had Coach Coughlin mm-hmm. right, when right. I was Tom leaving. Coughlin, yeah. yeah, we had Tom Coughlin. When I was leaving, when I chose to uh, leave, he put me in the office before I left and said, like, man, I had, like, a personal – like, he had a personal reason. Like, he really wanted me to, to succeed. And when a coach tells you that, like, you should never leave a situation like that. Right. Um, and then I wound up getting arrested that offseason, and the Ravens was, like, the wrong organization to be with at that mm-hmm. time to get into any type of trouble. 
Right. Because of that Ray Rice situation. And right. then that guy oh, stabbing, yeah. the, stabbing the dog. And like, mm. that was the wrong team. Like, if I would have got into that trouble with the Giants after being with them with a year, I don't think they would have released me. Mm. So uh, business-wise, man, for any of the guys listening, you got to understand, like, going into the league, it is no longer, like, play-play. Mm. It is literally business. There are even guys that they knew wasn't better than me my rookie year, but since they were paying them more, they had to give them opportunities to play. Right. Like, <clears throat> right. We lost seven games in a row my, my rookie year at the Giants, and they were still letting the same people play because they were paying them millions of dollars. Right. All right, for sure. No, it's definitely a business, no question. Um, I, I want to ask you about two things. Um, you were obviously dealing with your own stuff, doing your thing, your pro football career. You know, I'm sure you were keeping up with it, your former teammates, stuff like that. Were you surprised at how the Spurrier era just – I mean, because it literally nope. – I mean, you, you, guys, you guys won the Capital One Bowl over, over Wisconsin. And, it, I mean, it was literally – a year and a half later. I mean, the fall from grace was so fast. And then Spurrier resigning basically midseason. I mean – Spurrier set them up for the kill, bro. Mm-hmm. Did, did you Spurrier did you see that coming? Because, I mean, I don't feel like players on campus while you're there, you're really paying attention to like, oh, who are they recruiting? Like, like But, I mean, did you notice anything like that? Because, I mean, that's – we yeah, all know that's the biggest it. thing is like the recruiting yeah, efforts kind of stuff. I started stopped. noticing it. Yeah, I definitely noticed it. Like, after Shaq Rowland – we pretty much didn't, like, get none of the, like, starts. We didn't really start, like, getting the big players no more. Like, right. it was, like, two stars, three stars. We weren't getting those. Like, Sperry didn't set them up when he left. He set mm. them up before that. Like, mm. he stopped recruiting. Like, right. He just stopped, bro. Like, mm. he didn't want to do that shit no more. He felt like we were winning. We were the best we've ever been at the program. Right. Like, and he just thought it would all – guys would just come there off getting, his name. Yeah, like everybody was getting drafted. We had first-round, second-round draft picks. We was winning 11, 12 games a year. We wasn't losing to Clemson. Like, he basically just – I just feel like – because I remember one time after that, I met him in the hallway on some random stuff at the, at the, uh, in the stadium. And he was like, Vic, man, you see all this stuff they got for those guys down there recruiting? Like, man, like, this is ridiculous. I was like, yeah, coach, like, we compete in the SEC. Like, you think people just going to come here? Like, no, that's – we're in South Carolina, bro. Like, right. <laughs> people ain't just going to pull up here just because. Like, you, you got to sell them still. Like, people right, like right. me, I never thought about South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I just happened to come on an official visit and have fun and then knew a couple people on the team. So, most right. people are not fans of South Carolina Gamecocks, bro. Right. Like, and it's South Carolina just, doesn't have the tradition to carry them in – and exactly. unfortunately, just doesn't have the, you know, the long same tradition to carry them in, in recruiting with no effort. Yeah, like, especially not like a Georgia or a Clemson or a Alabama or a Florida. Like, we don't have that tradition. And then mm. we built the tradition and you kind of like let it die. Right. Yeah, and that, that's what I wanted to ask you because, again, you're, you're obviously very in touch with it. I mean, you saw it firsthand. And, I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm a guy that I, I think my feelings on – Will Muschamp are pretty well documented at this point. Um, you know, I, I'm not sold on the thinking that he's the guy to get South Carolina to the level of winning titles. And to me, if that's not your ultimate goal, and I don't know why you're even playing the game to win championships. Um, so, but I'll ask you. I mean, and maybe he maybe he will turn out to be the guy. But I just want to ask you, what do you think needs to change? Um, I, I know you're not in the building every day or anything like that. But I mean, is there anything noticeable that you see that you would say? 
this needs to change to get back to the level that we were on when I was there. Yeah, like, bro, there's so many players that during that culture, some of us are not, like, in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Like, the staff, not saying, like, the whole staff, but I don't think there's, like, no one from the culture that was built here, like, around. Mm -hmm. And there, I think that's, like, a big thing. Like, I just really think, like, people like me – you know, people like Sherrod Golightly, like, people that really – Devontae Holloman, like, he's a head coach right now, but Kelsey Quarles, like, it's so many players, bro, that's, that's not – that's not around that want to be around, but mm -hmm. we're just, we just not around, bro. Like, mm -hmm. that needs to change to me personally. I think he does really well with recruiting. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think he brings in good players. Um, I think he's a hard-nosed coach, like – he don't he don't take no bs he's he's a he's gonna like it's not just about being on the field it's like about being a good man at the same time so he does he definitely has the characteristics of an awesome coach bro like mm -hmm. on and off the field it's just i feel like the culture that we built here no one's here that built it mm -hmm. so it's like trying to start a whole new culture when we kind of had the culture built i just wish some of us could be around more for sure no, I'm not heard saying that. that he won't allow it. I don't think mm -hmm. that he won't allow it. Right. Um, I talk to T Rob all the time. Like, I love T Rob. Coach mm -hmm. T Rob? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love T Rob, man. I love T Rob. Like, I, I would love to be around the team more, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. I, I've heard that from other guys as well. So, I mean, I, I think there's definitely something to it. Um, you know, injecting some of that, injecting some garnet blood in there, <laughs> for sure. Um, I, I want to ask you one one last question, Vic. When you're from your time at South Carolina. What was your favorite part about being a Gamecock? What, as far as you know, was it running out to 2001, playing in front of the fans? Was it campus life? Was it going out? Like, what was there one thing that you remember vividly as far in your memory that stuck out of your time at South Carolina that you really? Hold on, say that one more. Say that one more time. Just as far as your time at Carolina, what was your favorite part about it? I mean, what was, like, your, some of your favorite memories? Was it, you know, running out to 2001 or playing in front of the fans? Or was it even, like, off-the-field campus life or, like, going out or, like, just the city of Columbia? Like, what was, I guess, some things from your time at Carolina that stick out vividly, you know, from being there? Man, my freshman year and sophomore year, like, staying on campus, staying in the Doty, mm -hmm. like, just, like, experiencing campus life, like, being on your own. You know, getting your first car and being able to, like, not have to talk to your mom or, like, <laughs> like you can get up and go. Like, like just – I just wish everyone at 17, 18, like, had that opportunity of that experience to, like, really go to college, you know what I'm saying, and, like, mm -hmm. just get the opportunity, like, to grow without still having, like, a whole bunch of responsibility. Right. So I would say that, man, but, of course, like, playing in front of that 80, 90,000, like, every home game, no matter who we played. Like, bro, like, being ranked always in the top 10, like, mm -hmm. so our games were always on TV. Like, the experience of playing football at that school during that time was definitely different. For sure. For sure. Well, Vic, man, I really do appreciate it. Uh, hopefully you're staying safe, staying healthy. Obviously, I know the craziness of the world right now, especially with the – the pandemic stuff, we've all got our fingers crossed for football and everything. And I'm, I'm staying optimistic, staying positive. It's going to happen. But uh, I, I know I speak for all Gamecocks when I say it was an absolute pleasure to watch <laughs> you play, the way that you played especially. And 
to see what you and your teammates do on the field, especially those defenses. Those defenses were just a ton of fun to watch. But uh, hey, we, that's why I feel like we won those games, man. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, like, yeah, people think of offense like when they think of Spurrier, but those dominant defenses were the reason. There, it did not yeah, get twisted. Like, those dominant defenses were the reason. Hands down, that I really feel that way. Yeah. I seen something on Twitter today, though, man, about social distancing. If we did it the right way, the stadium would be able to fit fifteen thousand or something. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, I, I did see that. Yeah, I did see that. It, it'll be interesting. So is that man. the I, route they're going? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any way you're going to have full stadiums. Um, I don't think there's any way you're going to have full stadium. I, I, I'd be surprised. I mean, like I said, I'm staying optimistic. I, I just want football to happen. I don't care if it's empty stadiums, which would suck for sure, but. If nothing else, we just got to have some ball. I, I don't want to be going through the fall with no football. So I feel um, you on that. It'll it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting for sure. But yeah, Vic, I appreciate the time, man. Like I said, let's let's do it again soon, and uh, would love to have you back on. Obviously, to talk some ball, talk some talk some secondary play, whatever it might be. I, again, I just really do appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Appreciate you, bro. Perfect. So for Vic Hanton, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show.